verses of Scripture and um, give me a moment to get things laid out for you. So the first Scripture that I want to draw your attention to is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. And for sake of, of kind of focus tonight, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the context of these. I'm going to allow you to do that on your own and trust that as you do that, you will not find my message to be inconsistent with the context. But I'm really pulling together a couple of different concepts. Um, and so I want, to, I want to stay very focused. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 7 says, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. We live by believing and not by seeing. Now, that word believing, you have probably heard this before, but let me remind you. Every time you were on into the word belief, a noun, the word believing, a verb, the word faith, a noun, those are all the same word. They simply have a different grammatical structure, um, whether it be a verb or a noun. It is the exact same meaning. So another way to put this verse would be, for we live by faith and not by seeing. How do we do this? I don't know about you, but my life is in a physical world. And if you understand seeing to be more than just eyesight, but rather senses, and I think it's fair to do that, we could also say that we live by believing and not by what we can sense. What I can touch, what I can taste, what I can smell, what I can hear, and what I can see. It's amazing, our five senses, how interrelated they are. And we've learned this over time, as one or another of those five senses is either impaired or taken away, the body literally compensates by heightening the other four senses. It adjusts. It recalibrates. Why? Because if all five senses are gone, we don't know how to live. We were made physical creatures in a physical world, and it's how the world makes sense to us. And I'm not here tonight to tell you that you shouldn't be a physical being living in a physical world that uses your senses. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, is that the Apostle Paul is challenging us that there is another dimension to life beyond just this physical existence. And to live this life to its fullest, you have to be able to embrace that dimension that is beyond what you can see 
what you can smell, what you can taste, what you can touch, and what you can hear. God is not opposed to science. God's just not limited to the scientific world alone. I know that in our culture, we have created a false dichotomy. You're either scientific or you're religious. I reject that false dichotomy. It's not an either or. It's a both and. Do you know why there are notches in this platform? Because we believe in gravity. And it get rather uncomfortable to have to walk off this platform. I'm not going to do it. I'm getting too old. <laughs> and be reminded every single time I walk off it that gravity works. And those of you who have been around, I've done it a few times. I took a flying leap one time. Ruined a very good suit. Nearly busted my father-in-law's already busted leg. That was before you came, wasn't it, Russ and Kim? You weren't here. Oh, it was spectacular. I made it all the way to Brother Moss's pew. From the platform to his pew. It was spectacular. Yep. It's, it's probably back on the video. If you go find, I don't remember what I was preaching. Was it Chase the Lion? That's, exa that's exactly right. It was. It was Chase the Lion. Yep. And I went off the camera. That's how far I went out. I was trying to show that I was leaping into a pit. And I ruined a good suit. I love that suit, that gray suit, and it's just gone. Took the knee out of it. Gravity works. I don't care how hard I ran and how much propulsion I got. Everything that goes up must come down. Okay? So I'm not here tonight to tell you that life doesn't work according to physical principles. But I'm here to tell you that there is another dimension of life that operates by non-physical principles. It's not an either or, it's a both and. We're told this in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, the AV will put that up, and this word believing or faith is defined for us. The writer of Hebrews says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence, and I love that word because the writer of Hebrews, at the time that he or she wrote it, probably a he wrote it, did not know anything about the scientific method. In fact, the scientific method didn't even exist. But the scientific method says that everything operates on the collection of evidence, evidence collected by our senses. And so when the writer of Hebrews writes this and says, it is, faith is the evidence of things you can't see, things you can't smell, things you can't touch, things you can't taste, things you can't hear. Wow. There's another dimension going on here. There, there's something beyond what I naturally turn towards, namely the physical world. You see, things we cannot see are either in the invisible spirit world, and Scripture speaks of a world that is a part of our world. It's the spirit world, and it's invisible. 
You can't see it. You can't sense it. In fact, this shows you how bad we have trouble with it, is that we use a sensory word to talk about trying to interact with that world. I sensed the spirit. No, you didn't. If you can sense the spirit, it's not the spirit. By definition, you cannot taste it. You cannot smell it. You cannot see it. You cannot touch it. And you cannot hear it. But we don't know what to say. We got to have some kind of word to talk about what happens when somehow we interact with this invisible spirit world or things we cannot see, things we cannot sense are either in the invisible spirit world or they're in the not yet happened future world. Recently, took me back a little ways. My son Vincent told me that he had gotten a movie he was very excited to watch. I said, what is it? He says, Back to the Future. I went, oh, That's back to the past for me. (laughs) But the concept is I remember, and it was a long time ago, so I'm not sure. I totally remember what happened. I remember Michael J. Fox was in it, but that's about it. And some crazy scientist, and I can't even remember who that is, and I don't need to know, so don't tell me. My kids will tell me exactly who it is. I don't remember, but somehow there was some kind of thing where somehow they could go back but forward. Ladies and gentlemen, I got news flash for you. That's a movie. It's not real. You do not go forward in time. You don't have the ability to go forward in time because you are a creature of time. You are rooted in the spot you're at, and your future is one step at a time. We mark it by seconds and minutes and hours and days and weeks and years, but it's incremental movement. But there are things in the future that we cannot see. Things we hope for, as Hebrews 11.1 would put it. That faith connects us to them. Now, I return to, if we live by believing and not by seeing, I don't know how to do this. Does anybody have a manual? Does anybody have for me the guidebook? Does anybody have for me what? How do you do this? How do you live, breathe, take action, decide what time you're getting up, what you're eating for breakfast? I mean, live. See, we've hyper-spiritualized a lot of Scripture. And I think that God, among other reasons, had my mom and my dad have a miraculous birth of me so I could go around and rain on everybody's hyper-spiritualized verses. Because I don't look at it that way. I don't see it that way, and I never have. And I've always looked at it differently. It includes what we would call the spirit life, what we call spiritualness. But no, God's involved in your day-to-day life. God's involved in your physical life. God's involved in your marriage. God's involved with your children. God's involved with, with, with your body. God's involved with your physical existence. Scripture rejects, does not hold up to the philosophy that material world and physical existence is bad. And the more you get away from your body, the more spiritual you are. That's not how God views it. 
In fact, I can tell you how much I know that is because when God sets everything right and puts sin in its place and removes us and puts us back into holiness, guess what he gives us? He gives us a physical body. Some of you are hoping for the perfect physical body. I kind of smile because I think God might think perfect's different than what you think perfect is. You might hold on to one of those lumps or bumps or chumps or whatever else you got. You might not have your hair. We don't know what it is. I don't know how much is sin and how much is just God's perverse pleasure in diversity. Physical existence, God has not got a problem with physical existence. Nor does he have a problem with a world in which you cannot see it or it hasn't yet happened. Because let me remind you that God is not in his intrinsic, basic being limited by time. He's the creator of time. But this is a God who, while he created time and through the incarnation and our redeemer entered into time, this God has no beginning and has no end. And I can't think of a better way to set aside time. There is no time. If there's no beginning and there's no end, I don't even know how to talk about time. The concept of time is gone if there is no beginning and there's no end. We can talk about that there's no end. That's a concept of time called eternity. But as soon as you say there's no beginning and there's no end, you have no markers. You have no markers. You have no time. And this is what Scripture tells us about God. God is timeless. He's outside of time. He doesn't operate according to time. And so the future, which is a limitation for us that we cannot see because of time, we're not in the future yet. I don't know what I'm going to be like when I'm an old man. But I'm also a product of my mom, so I can look at my mom get a rough approximation. But then they both vow and declare for my whole life that there's a whole part of me that isn't either one of them. <laughs> so if that's really the case, then I don't know for sure what I am. I have a good friend, Dr. Brickle. He was here with us in April teaching on Revelation, and he and I like to laugh and joke. I doubt it'll ever happen. He's much older than me. Um, did you hear that, Dr. Brickle? Anyway, um, that we've laughed about being in the nursing home together. We talked about what life would be like if the two of us were in the nursing home together. And, and we have a very, very wry sense of humor with regard to that, talking about how we would insult one another and hit each other with our canes and have races down the hallway in our wheelchairs and all kinds of other just quite disrespectful things of each other. But I don't know what it's going to be like. You know why? Because it's in my future. I mean, my, <laughs> I'll pick on my dad just a little bit further. My dad years ago would have said he's an old man. But he now vows and declares every time he sees Desi, I'm not old. I'm the youngest guy in my house. <laughs> Little secret to those of you that don't know, he lives in a retirement community. Doesn't say much when he says he's the youngest one in his house. <laughs> yeah, see, there we go. The timeline has moved. The spirit is not limited like us in either world. The spirit is not limited in the invisible world and the spirit is not limited in the future world. 
and the spirit you cannot see. You can't sense it. I didn't say you can't interact with it, but I'm telling you, your five senses don't do you any good when it comes to the spirit. We have responses to the spirit interacting with us that we can identify physically. But those responses are not how we enter the spirit world. They're not how we know the spirit. In fact, I will argue to you that, in fact, you cannot really in and of yourself do anything to get to the future or to enter the spirit world. God, the spirit, has to come to you. And so I turn your attention to John chapter 16. Again, one single verse. John chapter 16, Jesus write, or says to his disciples, in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And I know that we use this verse, and rightly so, but I think it limits it. We use this verse to talk about truth in the sense of doctrine. That's not all that truth is. You look up the word truth and you will find a definition that says that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality. This isn't just about doctrine, ladies and gentlemen. This is about reality. And the reality is there is a world ahead of us that we have no idea what's coming. And the reality is, is that there is an invisible world that is permeating our world that's all around us. We live inside of that invisible world, and that world is as real as gravity. And I can't see it. I can't sense it. I can't taste it. I can't touch it. I can't smell it. I can't hear it. I cannot use my senses. This is the world that the writer of John says, or Jesus preserves Jesus' words in John and says, the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality, the spirit of the facts of things will guide you. Will guide you. So what does this mean? Put up my title slide. We talk about leadership in terms, many times, of servant leadership. And that is appropriate. When you lead within the kingdom of God, it cannot be about you. Jesus said, he who would be greatest in the kingdom must be servant of all. The more you want to climb the place of leadership in the church, you, in fact, are descending. It's a reverse triangle. At the apex, all of heaven and earth, everything rests on a single, single point, and his name is Jesus. And he gave us an example. He descended, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of humanity, and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the more that you become like Jesus and the more that you seek to be with him and the more that you seek to lead, the further down the triangle it goes, the less prerogatives you have. It narrows. It's not wide. It's narrow. So we talk about that, and that's an important thing. 
But I'd like to add to your concept of leadership that leadership within God's church must be spiritual leadership. Now, I need you to deconstruct a minute because I'm not talking about pious. We hear spiritual and we think, oh, they pray a lot. And I'm not taking away from prayer. Please, do not get me wrong. You ought to pray, not to faint. I'm not talking about pious, though. Uh, many times we, we attribute obedient to spiritual. So the ones who obey the Scriptures, then, then they're spiritual people. No, I want you to think of it in terms of that leadership requires you to operate according to the guiding of the Spirit of God who's not limited by the future and is not limited by the unseen, invisible world. It it requires you to act according to the guiding of the Spirit regarding things that cannot be humanly verified. If you are to lead, you will have to be at risk of being crazy. Because anybody that's looking at it humanly is going to say, that's nuts. Because it's not humanly verifiable. And then, that's not the point of tonight, but then we find this God who lives in that spirit world, who is most naturally in that spirit world. He is a spirit. God is a spirit. And you find that God acting in ways that are contrary to the way we would act. Because he says, I don't think like you think. And I think he doesn't think like we think, both because he's a spirit and because he's timeless. But I also think he's just, God's weird. From a human perspective, God is weird. I tell God all the time I don't like him. I hope you're not offended by that, but I, I tell God all the time, I don't like you. I don't like your agenda. I don't like the way you operate. I do not like you. And I think it's because he doesn't play by the same rules that we have because the rules that I feel comfortable with are what I can see, what I can smell, what I can taste, what I can hear, and what I can touch. And I like the principles because what happens is, is in the seen world, if I can use the word see to collapse all of them or to collect all of them, the seen world, if I work hard enough, I can get control of it. I can wrap my brain around it. And it puts me in a place where I feel secure. Do you know what the word secure carries with it? Limited. I very shortly, not very much, but very shortly, I flew before 9-11. I had a lot more liberty when I flew before 9-11 than I do now. I'm more secure, but I'm more limited. There are things I don't make a joke about. I told my kids, don't you even even think bomb, let alone whisper it, let alone say it. Don't even go there. 
I was on one of the first flights, and I kid you not, one of the very first flights that went out of BWI two days after they grounded everything after 9-11. I've never been afraid to die. You all pray for me. I've just been that way. It was a different world. And it's never, I mean, I've gotten good at this world. I know how to operate with it. They pre-check, that's great, that helps everything out. Okay, so we've adapted, but it's a whole different world. Nobody walks into the terminals to greet you when you get off that plane anymore. Has anybody forgotten about that, where they used to be standing there, just pressed up against the glass, waiting for you to get off the plane? Not a shot. There's nobody. If you're inside the terminal, you are flying. We have lost things by security. Controls are not always good things. This is the argument of capitalism. And again, I don't want to get into that whole thing either. But the whole arguments of regulation is, is when you regulate something, you take away things. So our drive to see things, our drive to control things, our drive to be in control of things actually limits where God wants to go. It limits what you can, it limits what's going to happen in your life. And I got bad news for you. God refuses to be limited. It's one of his characteristics. That's why it was a great sacrifice when he became a human and died for us because he did take, for a period, for a purpose, take on limitation. And yet the scripture also tells us that at the same time, he was still capable of unlimited behavior. If you don't believe me, how do you think he walked on water? (laughs) Unlimited. Spiritual leadership is acting according to the guiding of a being that lives in a world and in a space that cannot be humanly verified. Now, because of our humanity, we somewhat are rightly, but we are inherently suspicious of spiritual leadership. Because spiritual leadership can easily cross a boundary in the hands of broken human beings and become spiritual abuse. People are just making it up. And they ask you to live according to made-up stuff. Yet, if we do not have spiritual leadership, we are left with a broken, seen world with absolutely no direction on how to escape it. We are stuck in this mess of a life. How many of you realize how messy your life is? How many of you realize your parents didn't do you all the great favors that they think they did? Where do you think your genes came from? Where do you think your proneness to this sickness or that came from? Where do you think that stubborn nature within you came from? Or fill in the blank. It's not just the pluses. And yes, I thank my mom and dad for all the pluses. And they gave me a bunch of them. But they gave me some doozies on the other side too. I'm glad to have married a smart woman and passed on to my kids good genes. They're smart kids. But oh, Regina and I passed on some other doozy stuff too. And it'll make itself very apparent in the upcoming years what those are. I love my mother and father-in-law. But you two got some stuff I don't like. And I got to live with her. 
Okay. So this is a broken world, ladies and gentlemen, and we're trying to serve a God who's not limited by that broken world. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. He has never submitted to that broken world except in one place, and that is on the cross. And three days later, he broke that submission and acted in a way that this world did not anticipate in that he raised himself from the dead. And this King Jesus does not submit to a broken world. He refuses. He rejects it. So as much as we are inherently suspicious and even somewhat rightly so of spiritual leadership, leadership that serves, yes, but also speaks and acts and lives according to the future, or according to an unseen world, neither of which can be verified, and the only way you even know they exist is by this concept called faith or believing. If we don't have spiritual leadership, we're left with a broken seen world with no direction on how to escape it. So as Christians, we are to live and act according to reality that is not seen alone. I'm not telling you that tomorrow morning you get up and decide your closet's the bathroom. Okay? You go ahead and try that. You know, you close your closet door tonight, you go to bed, and you get up, and you decide that's where the bathroom's going to be. I don't like where the bathroom is. I don't like where the bathroom is. It's way wife sleeps on that side. I got to go all the way around to go to the bathroom. I would rather just get out of my bed and walk straight into the closet. Will you try that out and see how reality conforms to what you want? So I'm not here telling you that a physical reality is not relevant and it isn't important, but I am here to tell you that there are limitations of a physical world that at times, under the guidance of the Spirit, God says that doesn't apply. And everything in your senses is going to scream, that must apply. And God says, it doesn't. Jesus walks on the water. In the midst of a storm, he comes out, and Peter wants to know if it's really him. And so he says to Jesus, he, he, he gets somewhere in some fickle place. You ever found yourself that place where you got some faith? And suddenly you're, oh, man, it's powerful. you got faith surging, and then you get yourself into a place when the faith, it fades off, and you're like, oh, what am I doing? Well, Peter was in one of those. He got some faith. He goes, Jesus, that looks like you. That sounds like you. If that's you, bid me come on the water. Now, if you don't think that that's a non-reality, or that, if that isn't a reality-altering command, you go home, fill your bathtub up, and see if you can stand on it. You know very well you can't. You're going to go down into the tub. Do it careful. You don't want to fall. Gravity works. Water is not solid. But Peter challenges Jesus, and Jesus, for that moment and that purpose, looks at Peter and says, the realities of water do not apply right now. Come. And Peter walks on the water until he realizes that he was crazy and walking on water. And then he starts freaking out, and then he sinks down into the water. But then the Scripture tells us that God still, just because Peter lost faith, God didn't. 
Nobody can read in the story that God starts sinking in the water. Oh, no, Peter lost his faith. I guess I got to lose my faith too. Oh, I'm going down in the water. No, Jesus is still on top of the water, still in control of everything, reaches down, grabs him by the hands, pulls him up, and walks him back to the boat. God never bent himself to the reality that water's not solid. Peter struggled. I struggle. You struggle. But he never bent himself to that, ever. So the problem is, is that as Christians, we're called to live and to act according to a reality that is not seen, but believed. And these actions, this life, is only possible under the guidance of the Spirit. Because you cannot do this on your own. Now, I'm here in a servantship leadership service. I'm looking at people that if you're here, you've had to make some commitment to be here. You're not the 150 or 160 that were here this morning. Leadership cannot stay safe. I didn't say it's got to turn abusive. But it can't stay safe because safe for us is a seen world. And the spirit operates in the future and operates in the unseen world, both of which are not humanly verifiable and both of which we can only interact with under the guidance of the spirit. This is exactly what was said in John chapter 16. When the spirit of truth, when the spirit of reality, if you'll allow me to twist that just slightly, to pull it away from just doctrine and just revelation of who Jesus is, but when the spirit of reality, of fact, appears, the spirit that knows the future, the spirit that understands the invisible world, when that spirit truth comes, he will guide you. I imagine a blind man that cannot see. Even if you're blind and you cannot see, someone can guide you in a world that you have no control over and cannot see. But you're really going to have to trust that guide because you can't see it. It's always amazed me. Seeing, and I'm not just talking about Sight impaired. I have sight impairment. Okay, it's not such without glasses, I can't fix it. I've been amazed at people who are completely blind. It's black. And they travel trusting a stick and a dog. You think about that for a second. A stick and a dog. So if I can hijack that. If you're going to be a Christian, you're going to have to learn how to walk with a stick and a dog. God, I'm not moving until I can see it. God says, hey, well, then you ain't moving. Lord, open my eyes. Can't. You're not that kind of creature. Lord, make it plain to me. I did. Your stick told you don't go left. 
Your dog said go right. Now, I'm not going to identify what's the stick and what's the dog because the analogy will get pushed too far that way. Some of you are already going there. Okay, what's he going to call the stick and what's he going to call the dog? I'll leave that alone. You all can have fun with that on your own. You've got guidance. It comes from the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. And as leaders, you cannot lead this church. You cannot lead people on the basis of your human knowledge and your human ability. You must have spirit leadership. That's why you got to know the voice of the Lord. You've got to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, my final passage of the night. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Little preview. You'll be studying these next year in small group. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So Paul is without question in Galatians. The specific context is talking about the works of our broken flesh versus the work of the Spirit in our lives. Do you understand you cannot produce the work of the Spirit? That love, joy, peace, long-suffering? Stop reading self-help books. That's not going to make you loving. That's not going to give you peace and joy. I'm not telling you you can't like self-help books. I like self-help books. Amy loves them. If you ever need to have a self-help book, go talk to her. She is the self-help book guru. I'm not against self-help books. That's not my point. But when it comes to spirit leadership, you can't go study a book and figure it out. The work of the spirit is what produces in us the attributes and the aspects of this fruit. So, yes, it's about turning away from sin. Yes, it's about turning away from brokenness. But can I challenge you, dear saint of God, that walking in the Spirit is not just turning away from sin. Walking in the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit of truth, is also leaving behind that which makes us comfortable, namely that which we can see, that which we can sense, that which we can control, and that which gives us security. And it is walking in this physical life in a way that we cannot see, but we're guided by the Spirit. And I believe this is included because when you do this, you will not live according to your flesh, you will not live according to sin, but you also will won't live according to realities that you otherwise would. So Paul closes out in verse 25 and says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And the Spirit will lead you to do crazy things. And if you're going to be a leader... You're going to have to do it. This takes leadership to a whole nother place than any leadership manuals you can read, any books about leadership. They can't talk to you about this because, in fact, there are times that the Spirit will call you to do things that the leadership manuals would say is the exact wrong thing to do. What are you going to do? In that moment, all your senses are screaming at you, literally. I already referenced 
a series I preached a couple years ago on Chase the Lion, a vision of where we're headed and what we're doing and talk about me running off the stage and all the other crazy antics I did, okay? Remember? Remember the line that I gave you, and I don't have it memorized, but the one line I used out of Mark Batterson's book, when the optic nerve carries to the brain the image of the man-eating beast, everything in that sensory human being says, Run! I don't know why my daughter, but my daughter th- this morning was saying she'd been searching up dogs, big dogs, and, and, and she showed us a Tibetan mastiff. Have you ever seen a Tibetan mastiff? It's a dog that looks like a lion. The paws on this thing look like a lion's paws. Let me tell you how much that makes sense to me, that optic nerve carrying that image of the man-eating beast. When I saw that dog, I know it's a dog, but because it looks like a lion, I had a visceral response that I'm not sure I want to see that dog. And if anybody knows me, I love dogs, but I'm not for sure that's a dog. It looks an awful lot like a lion. So if I'm looking at a real lion and it's looking at me, everything in my senses says, run, Steve, run. Yet Benaiah, he ran. He ran the opposite direction, straight at the lion, straight into the pit, and killed the lion on a snowy day. (laughs) What was he thinking? I guarantee he wasn't thinking with his senses. Now, you know why preachers and human beings don't like to preach about this? Because you and I are stupid enough to use this principle as an excuse for our human fallibility and our stupidity. Well, I just ran towards the lion, Pastor Steve. I quit my job. You're not always supposed to quit your job. But sometimes you are. Sometimes it's time to move it. I don't know why, but my kids were talking about grandpa stories. And they told the grandpa story. The dad comes in and he offers his, his resignation at Hercules. He was a rocket scientist, literally. I'm not kidding you. My father was a rocket scientist. Don't put him to the test now. He's gotten older, but he was sharp in his day. <laughs> he can still tell you lots of stories, though. He goes in. He tenders his resignation. The guy he tenders his resignation to says, you're crazy. He said, I just came out of a meeting, literally just came out of a meeting. You're next up for, is it manager of engineering? Yeah, the next rung up. So what are the, what, top three positions in that plant? Yep, and the next move, and the next move after that is to headquarters. You're moving into vice president positions. We're talking money, folks. Big money. Nice money. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. See, that's the part we don't tell in the story. Yeah, he was. There's a side of him that's worried. You want to know how? My dad says to me he's never afraid. He's a liar. You know how I know he's a liar? Because he's forgotten. I have never, now don't feel bad towards him, okay? I'm going to say something that's going to sound horrible. I have never seen my dad on his knees praying. I've seen him in church doing that, but not at home. It's not how he prayed. I've never seen my father fast. 
for this move that I'm describing to you, he spent a week in a cabin doing nothing but praying and fasting. I don't care what he calls it. That's scared. That's like, God, are you taking care of my family? God, did you tell me to do this? God, are you in this? But at that moment, the kids were telling the story. Yeah. And when the guy said it, what did he say? Actually, the boys were quizzing Cassandra because Cassandra says she knows all of your stories. And they said, you don't know all these stories. You need to hang with them. Or you don't know them all. We used to listen to them as boys. You don't know them all. So they're quizzing her to see whether she's got the right story. My father, under the guidance of the Spirit, said, get thee behind me, Satan. You're tempting me. You're trying to play to my fears. There's a time to quit your job. There's a time to do things that make no sense. And what I'm here to tell you tonight is, is that you cannot lead in the house of God without, at times, taking steps of faith. Living according to things that cannot be humanly verified. You can't see them. They're either in the future or they're in the invisible world. And the spirit that we're living by, that's guiding us, that spirit is willing to lead us where we cannot see. That's right. I agree. And that's the problem we have. When we tell that story, we tell it from the vantage point of the present because it's now become the present. When it happened, it was from the vantage point of the future. An unseen world, a world you cannot see, a world you cannot control, a world that you are patently not ready to deal with. But I'm here tonight to tell you that that spirit of truth who Jesus promised to us, that spirit of truth promised he would never leave us or forsake us. He would lead us and guide us. He would be with us all the way to the end of the world. So you want to lead? You're going to have to be a little crazy. Would you stand? You're going to have to get a little crazy. There's no way around it. I'm not telling you to go do stupid things because you thought them up. That's why you better learn to build a relationship with Jesus so you know his voice. Because once you learn to know his voice, you double check it, you triple check it, you check it in the word and you check it with pastors and you check it with and you check in your spirit and you give yourself time. But in the end, when you know his voice, there's an excitement when you go walking in worlds you don't have control over. And things happen that you don't know how to make them happen. And yet they happen because the spirit is leading you and guiding you where he's going. Could we thank him for his word tonight? Would you lift your voice to him right now? Hallelujah. I love you tonight, Jesus. God, I worship you and I praise you. Oh, God, I'm scared to death at times, but I'm thankful that you're guiding us. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that we can be led by your spirit. Help us to live by believing, not by seeing, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, to put our faith and our trust and to take those steps as you direct us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not just to be servant leaders, but to be spiritual leaders, spirit-led leaders. Jesus, help us, Lord.
The only way that this gospel is going to go forth the way you want it to is for us to be this way. The only way that this church will fulfill its vision and its mission, Lord, that you've given us is if we operate this way, Lord. Help us tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.